our worship theme this month is faith. And I wonder when you hear that word, what it evokes in you. Does it make you smile? Or does maybe it cause you to tense up a little bit? If you hear someone say, let's talk about faith, does that feel like an invitation or a test? Or maybe both? Thinking about what we just sang, what we just sang, I'm picturing a time when I was a little boy, maybe five or six years old, and I got asked to dance. And I stammered and said, I stayed stuck to my little seat at the edge of the room, and I said, I don't, I don't know how to dance. And my parents laughed about that for years, but thinking about it now, I, I feel bad about that young person, because you know what they say, some of the most courageous words that we humans ever say, may I have this dance, right? And I got asked that and I said, no, I don't know how to dance. Oh, ye of little faith. Years ago, there was a podcast that I loved listening to that was called Speaking of Faith. And it was conversations between the host, Krista Tippett, and people like scientists and mystics and wise people from a diversity of faith traditions. But one day, this successful and popular podcast, they decided to change the name from Speaking of Faith to On Being, which greatly annoyed me. And I wrote them an email telling them that I was annoyed. They didn't change the name back. (laughs) Because don't we need ways to be speaking about faith, particularly in the public square? On being is just as good and rich and inspiring as speaking of faith was. It hasn't really changed except for the name. And I've gotten over my annoyance, and I still love and cherish those conversations. But I also still believe that their name change is proof that faith is seen by a growing number of people as a difficult word, maybe even a scary word that more and more folks are happy to just avoid. And I understand why when faith has too often been used to control and exclude and oppress. When faith is treated as like a gate, you have to say the magic words and either believe them or at least pretend to in order to get in. But that's not what faith is. Faith is not even about what you think or believe to my mind and heart. Faith is about how you live. It's how you act and it's about what you choose to do. Faith isn't a thing that you can possess, not really. It's more of a practice that can grow like our muscles stronger over time. Adversity can be a real help in this. Sometimes faith appears 
just when everything seems lost. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King told a powerful story about this when back in the early days of the Montgomery bus boycott, his life and his family's lives, they were being threatened daily. And one dark night, he was sitting alone at his kitchen table after his wife and his little daughters had gone to bed. But he was sitting up because he was unable to sleep. He had just gotten a death threat over their home telephone. And he sat there with a cup of coffee at his kitchen table, but he said he couldn't even drink it. And so he prayed, naming his doubts and his fears. And he discovered, to his surprise, a new faith came in that moment of despair. He wrote about this. He wrote, At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. He says, almost at once my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. Claire's conversation with our young people this morning uh, pointed toward a, a part of what I wanted to say today, the question, does faith necessarily involve God or some kind of higher power? I'd say not necessarily, but that faith does involve something larger than one's own ego. The ego, which is often part of ourselves, the part that resists the call of faith, and is threatened by it, that is that voice in our head somewhere telling us that faith is unreasonable, impractical, a dream. Some of you know my friend Kimberly. She's a UU and a spiritual director, and she's preached here in the past. She spoke at my ordination 18 years ago now, in this month, and she said something about faith that I want to share with you. She said, one doesn't commit their love to a life partner without faith in the redemptive power of love's forgiveness. One doesn't raise children without faith in a mighty force for good in the soul of the world. One doesn't enter public ministry without faith in the possibility of beloved community. Some say that those who have faith are fools. Faithful ones, they say, believe in the possibility of ab abundance when there is plenty of evidence to the contrary. But I hold with those who see the light of hope in darkness, who see small openings in what look like high, thick walls, who see water in the rock. Thanks, Kimberly. Too often, people talk about faith like it's something you either have or you don't. He was a wonderful person until he lost his faith. Where did it go? Or faith is seen as signing on to a particular creed or set of beliefs like a secret handshake. 
And too often, faith is also equated with certainty. It has to be unshakable to be seen as faith at all. But isn't faith richer and more nuanced and more beautiful and more interesting than that? It's not black and white. Isn't faith holding on to hope even and especially when you don't know how? Isn't it the following of a vocation, a calling, that you have no idea where it might lead? Isn't that what faith is? It's not what we think or even believe. I don't think it's what we say. Faith is what we do. It's how we act, how we move through our days and through our lives. Faith is a verb. Faith is a verb. I expect that most of you here could tell us a story of your own faith, though plenty of you would probably be shy about doing that. When against the odds you hung in and you held on, you dreamed of a different life or a different way, and you persevered with that dream. And it is slowly becoming real. Or maybe you've realized it completely now and you are just living in gratitude for that journey. And I truly hope that being part of this church helps encourage you and support and strengthen you in your faith. We remember a previous intern here, intern minister, Sophia Lyons, fondly and gratefully. When she was here, Sophia introduced us to a practice called Journey of Faith. And some of you were part of it. In Sunday worship, you stood up here and you said, My name is, and this is my journey of faith. And your telling of your story and your journey was beautiful and inspiring. We're going to start doing this again this year. And I've already had several of you in mind. But if you're interested in sharing your journey, beat me to it and let me know. And we'll talk about when we're going to get you on the schedule, okay? And we'll talk about it ahead of time. And I will love those conversations. The beautiful song our choir just sang about hope. Couldn't it just as easily be about faith? And right now, I'm not sure I really know the difference between hope and faith. Just that they are so needed these days. I couldn't live without faith or hope. And I can't imagine a congregation without them. Or a family. Or a nation. Can you? I sing of hope and don't know how. That's what faith is, isn't it? Moving forward when you can't see what's ahead, but still taking that next step. We're living in a time when the decline in church membership has been well documented, and the pandemic certainly didn't help. But just at that moment, at the start of a global pandemic when we couldn't come together in person, 
when none of us knew what the future held or how long this was going to take, I look back a year ago maybe and I saw this email I sent right about that time and I said, it looks like this might last a couple of weeks, so let's hold on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at that moment, we in this congregation moved forward with our campaign to invest in this building and finally make it accessible, the whole building. And if that's not faith, I don't know what is. And of course, this project has taken longer than we hoped. It has tried our faith. Our architect could tell you about a, what's the word, testy, irritated, whatever phone call I made to him a couple of weeks ago. You know, sometimes you have to light a fire under people. But it's almost time for us setting that date for when we will get together and celebrate and give thanks for the faith and generosity that made this big and complicated project happen. Talk about faith in action. I know I do, and I expect you do too, need encouragement and inspiration in your faith, right? No one can do it alone. And what would we do without poets and mystics and spiritual companions? The poet David White is certainly one of mine that I'm grateful for. So I want us to hear again just a few of his lines that Bonnie read a few minutes ago. I am thinking of faith now and the testaments of loneliness and what we feel we are worthy of in this world. Who couldn't meditate on that for a long time? And then he goes on and he evokes images from the stories of Jesus in a boat with his disciples. I've been thinking on those stories this week and what Jesus says to them when they are freaking out because it's gotten rough and waves are crashing over the boat, which would be scary for anyone, right? And in one of those stories, or a couple of them, what Jesus says, I put it at the top of the order service today. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? For Jesus, the opposite of faith was not doubt. It was fear. Faith for him was not about belief or certainty. It was about how you faced the uncertainty of human life, about who you broke bread with, about what you valued, about what you were willing to risk, what you were even willing to die for. A few more lines from David White. And I think of the story of the storm and everyone waking and seeing the distant yet familiar figure far across the water calling to them and how we are all preparing for that abrupt calling, that abrupt waking, and that calling in that moment we will have to say yes, except it will not come so grandly, so biblically, but more subtly and intimately in the, place, in the face of the one you know you have to love. I like to imagine this poem not primarily about romantic love, but he, that he's describing love for oneself and for others, maybe even those we don't really like. 
love for our world and love for causes that may seem hopeless but are nonetheless compelling, and of course love for that fathomless mystery some of us call God. So that when we finally step out of the boat toward them, we find everything holds. Everything holds us and everything confirms our courage. And if you wanted to drown, you could, but you don't. Because finally, after all this struggle and all these years, you simply don't want to anymore. You've simply had enough of drowning. And you want to live and you want to love and you will walk across any territory and any darkness however fluid and however dangerous to take the one hand you know belongs in yours. We come here to sing a song about hope. We come here to sing our songs of faith. And when we're not quite ready, we come and hear others singing those songs and holding open a space for us, for faith and hope and love and so when we're ready or not quite ready we can start to join in too so dear spiritual companions can we commit ourselves to journeying deeper in faith opening our hearts and minds to the liberating love that keeps whispering in our ears asking may I have this dance with you can we work on opening more and more to this world around us with all its pain and its problems and with its beauty and its possibilities, opening to these lives we have been given and to these companions and being grateful for it all. So how can we keep from singing? Amen. Thank you.